Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. John Hood is our guest. Uh, he uh, has been with us a number of times, and we've already had some very interesting conversation. We have not talked too much about politics yet. Uh, one of the things that is so interesting to me right now are these uh, 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 Debates between the uh, seventy-eight or eighty candidates. For, <laughs> how many is it? Uh, uh, it's a couple of football teams or something. Yeah. I'm not sure. It's a large uh, number. It's a. This is one of the most interesting elections because I can't ever remember having uh, any situation where there are so many pr- announced candidates for any particular job. Well, I thought the 2016 pre- uh, Republican race that had so many candidates yeah. was was a high watermark but the Democrats actually have more announced candidates and I mean s- quasi serious ones people yes. who have yeah. who are current or former public yeah. officials uh, I, I do not agree with this individual at, on most issues uh, and I don't even necessarily think he's as polite and constructive as others some believe but I am just fascinated that Pete Buttigieg who's the mayor of a town in Indiana, is a major presidential candidate. I kind of find that charming, honestly. But anyway, um, I think that this is Biden's race to lose. He might lose it, but I think it is Biden's race to lose. And I think just like Trump enjoyed in 2016, if you're the front runner, even not by very much, you benefit tremendously when there aren't three or four opponents. There are you know, a dozen or two dozen opponents. That's very good for your situation. So, uh, yeah, we've started on this, this process very early, or it seems to be early to me. Uh, do you think this is early for us to be looking at this situation? Well, you know, Barack Obama announced, didn't he announce in 2006, I think? I mean, Yeah, but there was only two or three candidates. Well, I know, but he announced early. I mean, we yeah. have seen early races. Even 1980, there was a fair amount of activity in 79 leading up to the 80 race. I think um, – yeah, I think one of the reasons it feels early is because so many people are doing it. If there were five or six candidates and they had started actively campaigning in, in 2019, that wouldn't strike us as out of character. But because, honestly, Don, the first primaries are just a few months away. It's really not that far well, away. Well, that, that, that's true. We're, we're not that far away from the primary season. Yes. And, that, and that's uh, – uh, we we tend to think of the election as being a, a year or so away, and it, and it is, but the primary season is not. And North Carolina is going to play a much more interesting role this year because our primary is later, and we have become a, a real uh, barometer, I guess. Yeah, we used to have a late primary. Now we have a March primary, yeah. and we, we will be a, a big chunk of votes. And people will want to campaign here not just because we're a big chunk of primary votes, but because we're in play, you know, they're, yeah. they're, Democrats want to win California for obvious reasons. But in the fall, they don't have to worry about it. In North Carolina, they want to win the, the primary vote to get nominated. But they also want to win the general election vote, which they're going to have to work for. So looking ahead, uh, you know, uh, the last election, there are a lot of folks that said that tr- Trump won North Carolina primarily because of the lack of support or the disinterest in Hillary Clinton. Uh, Taking that out of the issue, if Joe Biden had been the candidate last time, would would Trump have won North Carolina? I suspect he would have struggled to win North Carolina and the presidency if Joe Biden. I mean, I'm no big Joe Biden mm-hmm. fan, but he just doesn't have the visceral negative feelings about him that Hillary Clinton and the Clintons in general did. Um, I think that Hillary Clinton was the probably the only Democratic candidate who could have lost to Donald Trump. And she did in the in the key yep. states that tip tip the balance. 
And I think Donald Trump is the only Republican that could have lost Hillary Clinton. I truly believe no. that. Now, he didn't, but he almost did. So I think with that, you know, richness of horrible candidates in 2016 behind us, I think 2020, uh, Trump will have somewhat of a record to run on, which is probably better than just running as a celebrity business person, uh, though he also, his record is problematic and there'll be a lot of things people attack him on. And I think Joe Biden uh, and maybe one or two of the other candidates will simply match up a whole lot better with Trump than Hillary Clinton did, and I think Trump's going to struggle. But, you know, I'd, I wasn't convinced he was going to run in 2016, so I'm not sure my judgment is trustworthy on this subject. But uh, Biden simply does not at this point have the high negatives that Hillary Clinton did, and that was the main reason Trump won is because, as you say, because people were voting against a Hillary Clinton presidency. So looking ahead and uh, realizing it's uh, more than a, just slightly more than a year away, uh, so if the election were tomorrow, would Trump be reelected? I don't think so because I think he would not be able to pull Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. And maybe North Carolina. And maybe North Carolina, but even if he won North Carolina, he'd still lose in yeah. that scenario. Uh, so I think it'll be hard. However, if Biden is the nominee but is driven so far left because of the drift of the Democratic Party that he is properly labeled an extremist, and or if someone other than Biden is nominated who really is genuinely a sort of a woke left-wing progressive – then I think Trump has a shot of winning. It's just not – that's not where we are right now. I don't think that's the most likely scenario. I think Biden is the most likely nominee, and he will try to steer a center-left course, and I think that's bad news for Trump. So looking ahead in North Carolina, of course, we uh, always have this redistricting matter in the background of all of our considerations. But uh, North Carolina's congressional delegation, uh, uh, of course, we're likely to pick up another uh, – after the uh, census, we're likely to pick up another yes, seat, and yep. uh, that will that will definitely cause another redistricting one way or the other. Uh, so, where where does North Carolina go next uh, next time around, and uh, uh, how does uh, Roy Cooper face uh, his challenge of getting himself reelected, and so if forth? If the Democrats nominate Kamala Harris or Elizabeth Warren or God help us all, Bernie Sanders. Uh, Cooper's going to be in trouble because no Democrats are going to have a hard time being on a ballot with those candidates. I really believe that's the case. Oh. On the other hand, if he's on the ballot with Joe Biden, then it'll be more of a Cooper against whomever kind of a race. And Cooper is not in bad shape there, though I would I would point out his his negatives are low. Not that many people really, really want to get rid of Roy Cooper right now. But something like a fifth to a quarter of North Carolina voters don't have really much of an opinion about Cooper at all. And he's not a very high-profile person. He never has been. So it is possible the Republicans could define him, given his position, some of the positions Cooper has taken, uh, much more left than he ran in 2016. And you could have a scenario where Trump narrowly wins North Carolina and Roy Cooper loses. Uh, I think that could happen, depending upon circumstances. So where, where do we stand on redistricting, and how will that affect the next election? Well— we still have litigation. I, I, you know, I try to keep up with it, but I'm confused. It, you ought to be confused. Well, I am. Um, we've had a series of maps thrown out, congressional and legislative, on <coughs> excuse me, Federal Voting Rights Act grounds, um, essentially racial gerrymandering grounds. Now, there's an argument that they shouldn't have been and back and forth, but let's set that for, aside for a second. 
The current challenges are not about race. They're about party, about partisan gerrymandering. There was an attempt to strike down North Carolina's congressional map, current congressional map, in federal court because it violated the standards that should be applied. The U.S. Supreme Court said no by a five-to-four decision. They said this is not a matter that is justiciable by federal courts. And that's not the same thing as saying state courts couldn't intervene. In fact, they specifically cited state courts or state constitutional amendments or state reforms as alternative solutions other than having the federal courts intervene. Um, So what's happening now is a lawsuit that's currently in the trial court stage challenging North Carolina's legislative maps as a violation of the state constitution because the argument is they are gerrymandered to favor the Republicans. Um, I'm not sure that's going to work either in the short run, but it might. that argument might prevail in a North Carolina Supreme Court ultimately that is a six-to-one Democratic court. I personally believe, I've advocated for decades, that we should reform North Carolina's redistricting process to put some guardrails on it, make it much harder to manipulate the maps in favor of one party or the other. I have hopes that that reform will pass in the next few months, that it will be enacted, that it will pass the House. I hope it will pass the Senate. What I'm proposing, what I support is a constitutional amendment. So it would go in front of the voters, and the voters would decide it in March. And if they said yes, uh, it wouldn't. this particular provision wouldn't be a, a, a legislative com- or a nonpartisan commission drawing the maps, which could be challenging to get past or challenging to, to work right. What it would do is put in the Constitution criteria that would constrain maps drawn by the legislative staff, the nonpartisan legislative staff, uh, make it very hard to gerrymander one direction or the other. I think that's the right decision. I think Republicans may view that ultimately as in their self-interest. They don't know who's going to win in 2020. Maybe there is a Republican wipeout. The Democrats take the legislature. Do they really want the other side to draw the maps? Um, do they want the state Supreme Court to intervene and draw maps? I, I think there's an argument that both sides ought to take out an insurance policy, a political insurance policy, against a catastrophic loss, which is that the other side will gerrymander them. All insurance policies cost money, Don. You know this. You've yeah. probably paid them before. <laughs> so you do pay a little bit in order to get a con- protection against yeah. catastrophic loss. In this case, the Republicans would have to give up a free hand in drawing maps or a freer hand that that they wouldn't have the free hand they currently have. I think that's a price worth paying to avoid having the other side, if you're a Republican, take over and gerrymander you, or vice versa. And one of the things that's always interesting to me is that uh, the uh, Democrats have all uh, always said, uh, yeah, and by the way, uh, we are uh, critical of what the Republicans are doing, but by the way, I think we did the same thing. Uh, well, so, they clearly did the same uh, yeah. thing. The worst, jury, the worst gerrymanders I ever saw were not by the Republicans. They were after the 2000 census when the Democrats came up with maps that would have given them control of the legislature, even if Republicans had gotten vastly more, significantly more votes than the Democrats consistently. That was struck down by state court because yep. uh, it violated state constitution, but it violated a specific provision. I think that's different from the litigation we see right now. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out because it will definitely have an effect. And I think it's a good effect. And I, this is the only comment I'm going to make about it because one of the things I like to see is contested races because that's when issues get discussed. And uh, that's always good and always welcome and always in the public interest, I think. That's my political. That's I'm going to editorialize. I, I agree with you. Yep. Though people need to be realistic. Yep. More competition means you agree higher with expense. Me. You agree with me? I do. Gee, 
That does mean that the races will be more expensive if they're more competitive, but I'm okay with that. Okay. John Hood is our guest, and we'll be back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. From all walks of life and in nearly every corner of the globe, Habitat for Humanity volunteers come together to share their time and their hearts with families in need. Men and women, young and old, the experienced and the beginners. And while they are all different, they are also all the same. They are all builders, dreamers. Through determination and perseverance, in the heat and the cold, in the early dawn and sometimes late into the night, together they offer new hope and an opportunity for a better life, working side by side with Habitat Partner families. Together we can eliminate substandard housing. Won't you join us? Support Habitat for Humanity in your hometown or wherever your heart leads you. Volunteer, get involved, and help build it. Visit us at Habitat.org. You've got your shades on, do you? So cool, so hip, so sheltered by frames of UV protection to show the world you are a force. But did you also know by wearing sunglasses you're doing your eyes a favor? That's right, sunglasses help avoid overexposure to the sun, which can produce red eyes, a feeling of grittiness, even excessive tearing. But you, oh master of the incognito, are taking care of your eyes without even knowing it. For more easy ways to keep keeping your eyes healthy, see your optometrist or visit AOA.org. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. John Hood is our guest, and we've had a very interesting discussion on all sorts of issues, including the uh, mass shootings and the uh, political situation that uh, the state is uh, getting ready to get involved with as far as our upcoming elections. And we've also talked about a number of other issues, including the state budget. Uh, I'd like to remind you that this program comes in two segments. Uh, uh, A number of the stations carry a half-hour version. That means two of the segments that we carry on the one-hour version are not heard by those. So if you'd like to hear those segments, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear those two segments. Or if you'd like to share the broadcast with a friend. Or if you'd like to go back and hear some of the ridiculous comments John Hood's made on his numerous other Please do not. <laughs> do not determine whether my prediction, my past predictions were correct. That violates the, the implicit contract we have with our listeners not to hold us responsible when we say ridiculous things. Well, uh, as, as we all do from time to time, um, it's uh, – Interesting to go back and uh, uh, from time to time look at correspondence that you've sent to other people and said, did I really write, <laughs> did, did I really write that? Uh, so anyway, so uh, John, we are uh, uh, sort of wrapping up things here for this particular program. Uh, anything pending at the legislature of great interest that uh, has yet to be decided? Well, we've talked about the state budget and the related matters, which yeah. is the most important thing, and redistricting, which I think is a, is a pending matter. Another one would be, what are we going to do about health care delivery in North Carolina? We do have pressure on hospitals, rural hospitals. We have, on the other hand, we have significant controversy about hospitals and their billing practices and how transparent they are. Lots of people very upset about suddenly getting bills that seem out wildly out of whack and the hospitals being defensive about it. We had this conflict between, or continue to have a conflict between the state treasurer, Dale Falwell, and the hospitals about the amount of reimbursement that hospitals are going to get under the state employee health Where is plan. that going? Well, 
I don't know. That is something that's going to have to be a sort of a numerical compromise. But there's a yes or no question embedded in that, which is should the pricing that hospitals have under the state health plan be transparent? Should the state treasurer have access to the specifics of the contracts? The hospitals are saying no way. Falwell is saying I must have that. I'm the elected official that has fiduciary responsibility. And that's that's a hard thing to compromise on. You can compromise on the reimbursement rate. I want to do 200%. I want to do 250%. Well, we'll do 225%. But the other is a difficult thing. I hope they work it out. I think they should figure out some solution that provides more transparency um, that hospitals can live with. So um, I I, I got you off on that subject, so get back to where you were. Well, that is a legislative matter, though, because there's a bill that has passed one chamber, the House, I think it is, but hasn't passed the Senate that would basically stop the treasurer from trying to implement his pricing model with with hospitals and set up a study and basically kick the can down the road a little bit. And if that passes, that would, for the short run, resolve the conflict against what the treasurer wants to do. Um, So that's a live issue. And I think more generally, how much more competition should we allow in the medical marketplace for companies to come in, doctor practices to come in and compete with the existing practices? We have a, a, a rather... I hate to use this term, but it's a sort of a Bolshevik approach to managing hospitals and doctors. All You have to have permission slip from the government to open up things. That is a bad way to run any kind of economic model. I think we've got to get out of that business, and that is a, another live issue in front of the legislature right now. The hospitals are getting hit from all sides, and I understand that. But this issue of having the state give them monopolies or quasi-monopolies in certain areas We've got to resolve that. That is inconsistent with our market system. It's inconsistent with consumer choice and preference. And it doesn't save any money. It probably increases the cost. Because of the recent uh, shooting sprees that we've had, which we all know are very tragic and very concerning, uh, do you think the General Assembly in the state of North Carolina will attempt to uh, enforce or enact legislation that would provide more public safety? I think that the only bill that could move at some point might be a red flag type of bill having to do with people who, for whom there is a family member or co-worker or something that has specific information that might lead to a temporary revocation of that person's possession of a firearm or access to a firearm. It's care, it's da- it, you have to be very careful with that bill to make sure you don't trample on a constitutional right. But I do think there could be some reasonable approach to that. I think that's about it. Most of the other things that are proposed in the gun control space just don't have very much to do with the mass shootings. They wouldn't have prevented them. They're just somebody's popular, you know, somebody's pet idea, and they just put it on the table every time there's a shooting. And I think that's not very helpful. And we discussed in great detail earlier uh, the uh, the item, the single item that is really, really holding up the uh, the uh, approval of the budget, the Medicaid expansion. Um, you gave us a great outline of the pros and cons of that issue. Uh, so uh, do you see uh, any movement on that whatsoever? Well, I think that where you could get bipartisan agreement is on doing some things on the delivery side – doing some things that are within the existing system that would improve access for people to low-cost care. Things like providing, you know, there are some rural areas where there aren't very many doctors and the hospitals are struggling, and there needs to be nurse practitioners delivering some primary care, but there's some limitations on that. 
So you got an uninsured person or someone that doesn't have very much of a health plan. They could afford to go see a nurse practitioner, and they really couldn't afford to go to other providers, and the, the, the MPs do a great job. I think those are the kinds of solutions to actual health care access problems that you could get bipartisan support for. I hope so. Do you see the uh, new candidates coming out uh, as, as uh, potential uh, candidates to either oppose Roy Cooper or on the Republican side for well, governor? Well, there is a Republican. We know Dan Forrest, the lieutenant governor, is running, and we know that Holly Grange, a state representative from the Wilming area, to, Wilming area, said she's going to run for governor. So you've got at least two candidates. Uh, if it's just Holly and Dan, that will be a competitive primary. Uh, Dan, of course, has been elected statewide. I think he would have an advantage, but he would face, he would have a spirited primary challenger. So it's going to be an interesting year. I think it's a fascinating year, and down the ballot, there will be competitive races for Council of State, for judgeships. Uh, a number of legislative races will be competitive again. The, the maps aren't gerrymandered to the extent there aren't competitive races, because there are. Uh, and there will be some more in 2020, and the Democrats could gain, or the Republicans could regain some of the ground they lost uh, two years in the 2018 cycle. Well, Tom Campbell on North Carolina Spin always ends his program by saying, tell us something that we don't know. I like that. That's a good feature. Uh, usually it's uh, uh, only a sentence or two, so you can take a little bit longer wow. to say, uh, to tell us something that we don't know that we probably ought to know. The most important political unanswered question has nothing to do with 2020. In North Carolina, in my opinion, the big sort of story is the jockeying for position for 2022's Senate race. It will be an open seat. Richard Burr's retiring. Yeah. We don't have open seats very often. Look look out, because there's going to be a long list of D's and a long list of R's and maybe some others getting into that Senate race, including familiar names, including members of our congressional delegation, um, former governors, perhaps. I mean, I, I just think there's a lot of jockeying for position on 2020 that really has to do with people setting themselves up for a run at an open Senate seat in 2022. Okay. That's something we didn't had not contemplated, that you would say. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us next week, or so he says. He promises me that every week. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I look forward to seeing who we'll have next week, and I hope that you uh, out there in Radio Land will join us. Uh, if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear that. Uh, as I said, our program has been produced by Jason, and he's done a good job. And we will look forward to seeing you again next week. So till next week, have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.